Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. Happy New Year. Yeah, everybody stay out. Who, who stays up for the ball? Really? Yeah, I can't make like 10 o'clock. It was like when I used to live in California, you could watch it at 9 o'clock, drop out here, and go to bed. <laughs> so it was pretty nice. But, well, well, it's nice to be with you all. Um, starting off the new year, right? Piano player bailed. Just joking. She gets a break off, and I had to find this bum out on the street to drum. And uh, This is Connor. He wouldn't sing with me, so. We're going to need some nice, loud voices from everybody today. Uh, this first song, Crown Him, it's a good way to start off the year. So um, and my, the guitar wouldn't work this morning, so I had to plug this thing in so it doesn't fill in quite as nice as the acoustics. So even more reason we need voices. You want a mic too, Leonard, to sing? No? <laughs> okay. Sorry. Well, uh, if you want to stand up, we'll pray, and then I'll sing. Oh, Father, we love you. Uh, we're here for you this morning. We're starting off New Year crazy, but uh, it's a good crazy because we're here together in your house for you. And we praise you. We praise you with these songs. We pray that you work in us as we hear your word today. We pray that you work with us, work in us, and uh, that we move closer to you um, and become a better church for you and your kingdom, Father. We just pray for a, a great year for your kingdom, for you, for your church. May we, may we grow in this this place that we are here in Salem, and with all the opportunities you've given us to expand your kingdom uh, in your name. We just pray that we uh, go into that boldly and do everything in faith, Father. We praise you. Uh, we lift you up this morning. We pray for Leonard as he preaches. Pray for the word that we hear through him and the clarity on his part for what we hear that you're saying to us. Uh, we thank you for a safe night for our body last night. Just it's it's easy to stay up late and have fun, and I just thank you that we can be here this morning, God. Uh, we pray for uh, all the prayer concerns in our body right now. Uh, there's some people that are going through some hard times, um, not starting out this new year with so much joy. Uh, so we pray that you work in them, that you work brothers and sisters of the body of this church can be there however we need. Uh, so we just pray for clarity of opportunity and steps for us to take uh, just to show you to everyone that we can. We love you. We thank you this morning. We praise you. Majesty, 
All right, well, we probably are going to need a little bit of work because if you're like me, you've eaten a little bit too much, you probably sat on the couch a little bit too long, and um, your capacities are just a little bit diminished. So our job today is to get you back in shape, right? Well, at least spiritually anyway, that's about all I can do. As far as your physicality goes, I can't help you out much there. But um, as we gather, I'm so grateful that we can gather with a uh, a new day, a new year. It is day one. I, I'm not going to say happy new year because the last few years I've said that and everybody's like, yeah, I hope it'll be better than last year. I can't guarantee any of that stuff, but I'm just going to say have a blessed 2023. And hopefully as we go through our, our, our message today and we just begin to chart a new course as we follow God's path into 2023, 
God can use us as a source of blessing for other people. And uh, that I trust he wants to do. And I know the world is hurting more than ever. And we have the best news ever to share. And, um, and, I, and I just want to keep that in mind as we go into the challenges and the travails and the difficulties and hardships that uh, the, the, uh, the, the year may offer. But keep in mind that God is still reigning on his throne and God will always show us the way. And a lot of times it is through the dark valley, but he's always with us. So keep that in mind. We do have some prayer concerns. We were hit pretty hard as a church uh, this past uh, couple of weeks. And uh, so I want to I lift some people up. Uh, one of them who's been heavy on, on the hearts of many of us um, is Joe Henderson. Joe and Teresa are usually our greeters here. And uh, Joe was uh, found to have an inoperable uh, tumor in his stomach. And um, so his health is really declining very fast. So he's, he's gone from going 60 miles an hour to, to being, being bedridden right now. And, and um, so uh, he just uh, uh, returned home from YSU, or uh, Saney's in, in Youngstown. Um, so we um, need to keep him lifted up because hospice has been called in. And it's just happened so, so quickly. And uh, Teresa, I know, has been beside herself in this whole process. And so if you weren't aware, uh, please be praying for, for Teresa Brown and her dad, uh, Joe Henderson. And then also keep in mind uh, Jerry's, uh, Jerry Zimmerman's father uh, had, um, had an episode uh, right around Christmas. And um, it's been a challenge for that family this week. And he's been up in Altman in, um, in, in Canton with uh, some heart issues that they're trying to sort through. And that's been pretty nip and tuck as well. Uh, so keep uh, Jerry and his family and uh, Dalbert Zimmerman in your prayers. And then uh, my, my, my neighbor, uh, Belinda um, Bowles, who uh, attends church here periodically, uh, she had a heart attack, and she's having quadruple bypass on Tuesday, I believe. So I've been, I've been spending a lot of time in hospitals this week, and, uh, and that, that wasn't exactly what we were planning on doing, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to be able to be a person for, for them in their time of need. So um, please keep them lifted up. And I know there's some others, so if you have anyone on your heart that's kind of pressing right now, let's, let's lift them before the Lord. Uh, anybody have anyone that you, you want to just uh, mention so we can put them alongside the others? Okay, and that's your friend David Gaddis. Okay. Okay, had a stroke and he's not recovering well, so pray for him. Okay. Any praises? Anybody have anything that's been good? Your name is Noni, right? But according to your grandkids. Yeah. So what's your praise? Oh, good. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, congratulations to the Smiths for being grandparents how many times over now? Ten times. Holy cow. That's a lot of birthdays. Man, be fruitful and multiply. 
That's probably highlighted in your Bible, isn't it? That's what I thought. Yeah. That's cool. All right, anything else? All right. Let's go ahead and pray then, and we'll lift these things before the Lord. Father, as we gather before your throne, in your throne room, we are grateful for our great high priest, our Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us a vision for life that goes way beyond what we could imagine on this earth without you. We're thankful for your abiding presence through your Holy Spirit that enables us, and in so many ways, you are the source of life for us. May uh, you find us to be a life-giving people as we derive our own life-giving spirit from you. And we thank you, Father, that you've given us a day of, of rest where we can contemplate the realities, well, the realities of who you are and what you've done for us. And we thank you for the whole storyline of Christmas, how it's fed into that moment of celebration on Christmas Eve and all the people that went to make up the background of that drama that displayed faithfulness despite um, the messiness. And Father, that, that theme continues on into this day, into this room, as we trust you with the, the challenges that we face and the things that we're going through and the difficulties and the uncertainties and uh, the confusions and the frustrations uh, that we have uh, in relation to the world around us and the people that we care about. We pray, Father, that you would help us to align our hearts and minds with you as we begin this new year, that our church would be representative of your purposes for the community in the year that's to come. And we pray, Father, that blessing would be the characterizing feature of everything that we do, that what flows into our lives could flow outward into the lives of the people that are hurting and broken and living in darkness. We thank you, Father, for the living word that abides within us and the good news of the gospel. As we celebrate all of those things, we also want to come alongside those that we know are hurting, especially servants like Joe Henderson, who uh, has been very quickly uh, going through a process of just readjusting to the reality of this tumor that he has and uh, the inoperability of it. And Father, if it's possible for a miracle to occur according to your will and your purpose, we, we just ask that you would do that. But uh, if you're saying, Joe, it's time to come home, we pray, Father, that you just help him to have the grace and the peace to receive that message and to be open to going into your presence and into your glory. And I pray for uh, Teresa and Susan, uh, that you would just give them the strength to support their father in all of this. I pray, Father, that as um, we lift them up, we also uh, come alongside uh, Jerry and Amy as they've been attending to Dalbert and the needs that he's had the last uh, several days. And I thank you for the progress that's been made in his recovery. And I pray, Father, that you would just bless him and bless Maureen as they struggle together in just the health concerns that he's had these last few years. Thank you for answering prayers and in the midst of suffering, being present, but not only that, leading them to a greater understanding of who you are as they've had to depend on you and lean on you more than ever. And I pray, Father, for um, Cheryl and Wayne Lulai. Pray for Wayne as he goes in for the, the treatments this week. I pray that you bless him and that whatever is being done from a medical standpoint would have your your hand of, of grace upon it and mercy that healing could flow 
through both the divine and the human into a life that um, uh, is longing to have health restored. And I pray that you just be with them on this journey. I pray, Father, that as um, we lift up uh, Belinda, who's going in for surgery on Tuesday, that you bless her with your perfect peace and that you would allow the doctors to accomplish all that they need to and that you would just help her through this. And as, Father, we uh, just celebrate uh, the birth of another grandbaby, we're thankful, Father, for these young lives that um, you bless us with, and we pray that we would be the people to leave a legacy where the world that they're entering into is one uh, that uh, they can thrive in. And so help us as a church as we look ahead to the, the, the year that is unfolding, that is a gift uh, in space and time that you bless us with. We pray that we could see that path and we could be open and obedient to what it is you're leading us into. I pray, Father, that as we take um, your giftings and enable them purposely together for the, for the kingdom work that you're doing in this community, that you would just continue to guide us, help those who lead to see clearly and, and those who are following to, to just respond in a way that helps all of us to grow together as your people. Thank you for being with friends who have overcome COVID recently and just helping them to restore energies and vitality and strength again. And just thank you for being with our church in this past season as we've gone through so many different movements in the replaying of the dramas that were in the past that define our identity in the present. And ultimately, Father, we know that your son is the one who perfectly uh, enables us to become who we're supposed to be. So may the life-giving strength and presence and power be the source of everything that we need for, for the year ahead. And we want to surrender our lives to you and move forward in that state of obedience and of trust. And we pray that as we do that, uh, your blessing would continue. And Father, give us a heart and a mind of a disciple as we pray together our Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is a kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Well, um, what I'd like to do as we're moving into the new year is uh, begin to think about the gospel through the lens of, of another person, and that is uh, the Apostle John. And what uh, the plan is, is that we're going to be looking at the gospel of John uh, up through the beginning of Lent. And then at the, at, when Lent picks up, we're going to finish off the book of Luke. We've been working on the book of Luke for two years, and uh, it's the longest I've ever preached a sermon series, but I've given you guys a break, and hopefully as we've gone through it, it's been a, a rich blessing. I know it has been for me, and I've learned a lot about the kingdom and who it is uh, that we're, we're truly worshiping as we gather. It's just uh, been eye-opening in so many ways, and hopefully we can continue to discover that. And as uh, we look at the gospel through the lens of John, it's a, it's a kind of a different telling of his life. If you've ever read uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they all kind of sound the same, and they actually have some material where there's overlap, but with John, it's completely different. 
You know, it's kind of like whenever, uh, if I went to a basketball game and Jason went to a basketball game and we were to tell Susie, hey, this is what the game was like, Jason would give a completely different take on it than, than I would, but we'd be telling the same story. We would just be emphasizing those things based on the filter that we have. And chances are there would be some things that we would say that were very similar, but there would be a lot of things where I would notice things that he wouldn't even care less about and vice versa. He would notice things that I'd be like, wow, I didn't see that. And what's so beautiful about the Gospels is that they are a rich just cross-section of perspectives that are divinely inspired that help you and I to relate to the good news. And I don't know about you, but it, 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 it was a little journey right out of the gate to discover how it was that I was supposed to relate to the person of Jesus. A lot of us, when we discover God and we discover Jesus, it's very personal. And we hear the good news, and somehow God stirs us in a way that changes something inside of us, and we're kind of drawn to him. And there is a love that uh, accompanies that that is profound and unlike any other. And as that happens, we start to ask questions. Well, what's this all about? How can I learn more? Who is Jesus? What does it mean to live a life that is a follower of God? What does it mean to go to church? And these were all questions that I had when I began my, my, my journey. Now, as that was unfolding, I, I, I started out by just saying, hey, you know what? I just want to believe in God. And as I'm watching televangelists that were somewhat trustworthy back in the day, they were helping me to sort of understand who God was based on, on, on their teachings. And I thought, this is going to work just fine. I'm going to go get myself a Bible. I'm going to open it up at the first page, and I'm just going to start reading it. Well, I don't know if you've ever read the Bible that way or not, and maybe you're like me when you first started. You're like, well, it's a book. You start at the beginning, you, you end at the end, right? Well, not exactly. Uh, it's not really written that. I mean, you can, but you need help. And I didn't know any of that because every book that I read, I just read on my own. But this is a book that you need other people that you're connected to in community to help you understand. I didn't know that until I ran into some comments in the book of Deuteronomy that kind of frightened me because it, it was naming some sins that I was clearly guilty of and then it was talking about some things that happened to the people who were guilty of those sins those sins and I'm like oh I think this is not as not the thing that I thought it was and I got sort of panicked and I was sort of struggling thinking I, I've heard about Jesus but this stuff scares me and I know I've got a past and I know I've done things that probably haven't pleased God. And I'm not sure what to do about that. And I, I kind of struggled out for a few weeks. Finally, I got the, got the nerve up to call one of the televangelists that I was following. And, um, well, the first one I called asked for money. And, I, you know, I'm like, uh, maybe. Uh, and then they said, we'll send you some stuff, like a Bible and stuff. They never did. Of course, I never sent them any money. So... There you go. The other one, though, was pretty helpful. And I said, look, I'm just starting to follow Jesus. I'm just starting to learn about who he is. And I'm stuck in a book called Deuteronomy. You've heard of it, right? And they, they, yeah, yeah, we've heard of it. I said, do you know the part where it talks about persons getting smote for their sins? Because I only had a King James Bible at the time. I didn't really know what smote was, but it sounded bad. And I thought, 
you know what, I'm just going to ask somebody. And they said, yeah, best thing for you to do is just start in the New Testament. Even better yet, start with the Gospel of John. And I felt a huge amount of relief in that struggle because they said um, the stuff that you're reading in Deuteronomy applied to a certain place and time under certain conditions that God was upset with those people. And I'm kind of tracking, but not really, but I was just happy that she said, you're not the one in the crosshairs here. Hugely relieved that God wasn't going to smote me, smite me, whatever King James word for putting them down is, uh, is going to apply. And I started to read the Gospel of John, and I'm like, oh, this is so good. This just is good for my soul. And I wasn't the first person who had that experience. But rather, it would appear that whenever the history of the church is being told and how the Gospels fit into the lives of the people, repeatedly people would say the Gospel of John is the, it's the Gospel that um, if you had a symbol for it, it would be the eagle. And that really was kind of a, a sort of a shorthand for it at one point, meaning that you could, it, it just made you fly spiritually. It made you feel like you're really connected to God and you're just flying with him. And that certainly was my experience. Now, it led to a thousand other questions because what I discovered, the Gospel of John is one of those books that anybody can pick up and read. But as they do, you find that um, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And I thought about that relative to the town I grew up in had a swimming pool. And it had a graduated pool. Do you know what those are? Those are the kind where you start out as a little kid and you splash around in a few inches of water. And then you just kind of migrate down to the diving board area where it's like 12 feet deep. And, um, you know, there's a time to go into the 12 feet deep stuff. And there's a time to stay in the, in the, in the, in the not so deep stuff. And I was always one to kind of wade in to get over my head. And, you know, a few times I had some friends pull me out because I was just in too far. And it really was a good metaphor for what I discovered when it came to the Gospels and the writings in Scripture. God has a way of showing us in very simple terms who he is, but he also has a way when we get connected to people in a community of believers of showing us more about who he is at the same time showing us more about who we are. And that sometimes is not a good thing because John speaks to that as the gospel opens up. And I'd like for us to look at a few of these verses for starters so that we can whet our appetite a little bit. So in John 1, 1, um, uh, uh, this is actually verse 6. I, this must be a little bit backwards. Let's find John 1. Um, yeah, there we go. So it, it tells us, John writes, in the beginning. Now, if you've been going to church for a little while, where have you seen that before? Anybody know? Start of the book. I mean, I'm like, hey, I remember that. But then I liked how John took it not from a creational event where there was the fall of Adam, Adam and Eve and the serpent, but rather it just was a, was a direct 
um, uh, connection to the one who created everything. So it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, that could be a little bit confusing, but the more you read, the more you understand. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if you're with us on Christmas, during the Christmas season, um, one of the passages we read from uh, Isaiah was talking about a future event where it says uh, the people are, are wandering in darkness, you know, but behold, there will come a day when the light will arrive, in essence. And John is saying, it's happened. The thing God talked about through the prophets is now a very real thing. And when he deci decided to say, I'm going to take the three years I spent with Jesus, and I'm going to summarize them in a book in the most meaningful way that I understand it, that's where he went. He says, I, as I read Genesis, I think about him and I think about the word, and I think about how the word was God and was with God, and now he is with us. And then there is the backdrop of that, darkness and light. And the darkness part is the reason why he came, and it's the reason why we are here in church. It is the thing that says it will never work unless God is part of the equation. And in my lifetime, I was told a lot of things. One of them was you don't talk about God in school. You don't talk about God to other people, or you don't talk to, about politics to other people if you want to keep them as your friends. There are very few places that really people could talk about God openly. Now, there are people that would do it sort of subversively, because one of the things that made me think about God, oddly enough, was watching a football game at that uh, period of time when I was seeking and seeing the, the John 3.16 banner. I don't know if they still do that anymore because I don't really watch football anymore. But that thing was uh, always right there. When the field goal was being kicked, there's the John 3.16. I remember asking a friend of mine while we were drinking alcohol, what, what's John 3.16? He grew up Baptist, and he said, oh, I can quote that for you. For God so loved the church, or not the, the, for God so loved the world, uh, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And I, the rest of that, that evening, I just thought about that. I thought, what does that mean? And I was intrigued, and it kind of pulled me in a little bit farther, because at the same time while we were sitting there drinking beers and watching the football game, I was just thinking about the fact that um, my, my life isn't what I, what, I, what, I, what I had hoped it had become. Things are not the way I want them to be. The relationships I have are not the way that I want to see them happen. And there was a little bit of a dark cloud that was starting to take over at that point in my life. And I remember, I remember thinking, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if I just looked into that. And that's where I was kind of sneaking my Bible, not telling anybody. 
Okay, I don't want anybody to think I'm one of those people, but I'm reading this thing in my room at night, and I'm like, whoa, this thing is really eye-opening. And as uh, it, it started to take hold, there was just not words, but the words were actually starting to redefine how I looked at life. It was starting to kind of nag at me. And what I discovered, it was the light saying, I'm putting a light on your life, and you're starting to see some stuff that doesn't work. And I was really uncomfortable with that. And I thought, you know, I wonder, I wonder if I keep going, if it's going to just keep getting worse. Because I don't know how you, how you felt the pangs of conscience, the conviction of something that you know is the right thing, but it definitely upsets your whole world. That's what I was feeling. And I'm like, God, why can't you just sort of ease into my world and we kind of do it together? And I'll just keep going the way I feel like going. And God's like, it doesn't work that way. The issue is you've been caught up in some darkness for a very long time, and I'm here to pull you out. And John really spoke to me when I finally opened it up upon the, um, the instruction of the person that I called on the phone. And it was like, man. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a 19, 20-year-old, basically a 20-year-old. I'm reading this, and it's for the first time just really sinking in. And what I love about it is it wasn't just information. It wasn't just words. There was something alive. And that was a scary but also very compelling thing. And what God is saying is, I'm offering you a new way, but you really got to trust me. And I wasn't sure if I could trust an invisible God that I couldn't really hear, speak, or react with the five senses. But I knew in my spirit, he was just there. And that's been kind of a lifelong journey for me. But I remember fast-forwarding a number of years ahead after I completed my, my Master's of Divinity and I went on to the mission field. And we were, we were now in a place with a small child beginning to live out the calling of telling other people the good news. And I remember getting there and thinking, all right, we're on this mission with some friends. We're in the middle of Johannesburg. And we're having to borrow their car all the time, and that's not working, so we got to buy a car. And the church we came from, they'd give us $4,500 to buy a car. And I was just, we're going to car lot and car dealer after another. And all the ones were just high miles. Now, if I had an extra $2,000, I could have got a car with low miles that would have been dependable. And the last thing I wanted to do was be stuck on the side of the road in a foreign country that I don't know very much about. And uh, have a wife and a little baby that's, you know, a few months old. So I'm like, God, um, we need just a reliable car. Everybody says the Toyota Cressida is the car to get. Now, this is 1992, mind you, and, um, and I couldn't find one for the life of me. And I remember turning to the version of Marketplace or Craigslist. It was called the Junk Mail, and I opened it up, and I saw on there a 1991 Toyota Cressida, $4,500. And I saw the date of the listing, and it was like it had been listed for two weeks, and I'm like, uh, it's gone. So I get on the phone, and I call the guy, and he says, yeah, our phone, lightning hit it two weeks ago, and they just turned it back on. And I said, is the car still for sale? 
He said, yes. I said, we'll be right over. So we went over there, and, and it was so shocking because it, we were in a part of Johannesburg where we were living, which is not very, it was, it, was, it was definitely a little rough. And we had to drive up this winding road, these beautiful jacaranda trees with their purple blooms and stuff. And, and we get there because he gave me the address, and we're following, and we're like, are we sure we're in the right place? And uh, as, as it kind of opens up, there's this huge mansion on like the hillside overlooking basically everything from Johannesburg to Pretoria. And it was just absolutely stunning. And I'm like, I don't think this is the right place. And then I look over and there's a blue 1991 Toyota Cressida. I'm like, well, we must be in the right place because then there's another car, which was a, a luxury car to say the least. And I'm like, I wonder what they're doing with that car and why they're selling it. So we go and knock on the door and these doors are huge dark, uh, I don't even know what they're made of, exotic wood. They're like 12 feet high, and they're, they're, they're hand-hewn. And we knock on the door, and the guy comes, and he, he greets us. And I said, are you the guy with the car for sale? And he said, yeah. And I said, those are some huge doors. And he said, well, they were made in a monastery in the 12th century. And I'm like, holy cow, where are we? And then, uh, then I said, well, can you just explain to me why you have why you have the car for sale and he said well this is a this is a house owned by the mining mining corporation and um and and i'm one of the i'm one of their employees and uh that's that's a car that we sometimes use to go out and visit the mines in and i'm like does it still work and he's like well it's been well taken care of and i'm like does it have a lot of miles no not really and I'm like, wow, God, you really showed up in a major way. Because this was a two-week, I don't know how this is going to work. And like at the 11th hour, God says, it's time. And what you discover in the life of faith is you do do your part. I'm not saying God helps those who help themselves, but there is something about you have to take the first step in the dance before God steps up and becomes your dance partner. And that's actually very appropriate language because the book of John is written in a way that it opens up in 18 verses with four sections that are called a strophe. And a strophe is not a word that you and I use like, um, like in it and uh, reckon and stuff like that. But a strophe is a word that's used for a turn that you make when you're dancing. And so as John is writing this very artfully, there are four strophes, and, it's, and, it, and it goes, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then they say that's the end of the strophe, and then you have a little statement, and then you have another declaration, and then you have another, and you kind of go back and forth like that. And the way John wrote it, the form that he wrote it in, was what conjured up a sense of a dance. And I can't help but think that that was intentional. Because the word strophe is actually a rhetorical word that people were familiar with in that time. And they also knew it was an important technical word for dancing. And the two were kind of in the imagination of people when they wrote. And as John, John's writing this, he's showing us that there is a connection that we make with God. And the problem with that connection is 
there's a darkness light issue that gets in the way. It jams up the relationship. It's kind of like if you live in my part of the part of the, uh, the, the the country, we go through what's called the Greenford Triangle. So if you're on your phone and you have Verizon and you want to talk on your phone anywhere in the in the realm of Greenford, it's going to cut out. It's just going to go dark. So when we're talking on the phone, I just say, "Hey, I'm getting ready to go into the Greenford Triangle. Hold on. If I get cut off." We'll resume. I know exactly where it picks back up again, where the darkness subsides and the light begins again. And it, it is just another way of saying that there is a breakdown in our ability to connect with God that has to do with words, but even more so has to do with the compatibility between ourselves and God. And God is saying that I am trying to make it so the conditions are such that you are now compatible with God. And it really begins with working out the darkness that is inside of you so that we can become even more aligned than ever before. And as John is opening this up, he's saying a lot of you have thought about God for a long time. How do we relate to him? How do we connect with him? And I've been promising you the whole time in the most personal way possible, the most intimate way you can imagine. You see, when the language is used for the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary and she conceives, the word there is, is the word for no. There's an intimacy in that description that says Mary knew the Holy Spirit, but not like humans would do in, in procreation. But there was something in that overshadowing that said they were able to come close. And in the mystery of the of the of the the Catholics Catholics would call the Immaculate Conception. Something happened, and God became one of us. Now, John is sort of looking in the rearview mirror, and he's saying, I'm going to tell you the story, but I'm also going to tell you what the story means. And so he continues on, and he says these words in verses 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, not just a few, but all, all might believe through him. So it's all-inclusive. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And what John was doing basically was upsetting a lot of people when he arrived. He upset people so much that eventually he upset the wrong person. The wrong person said, we're cutting off your head because I can't stand hearing what you have to say any longer. But what was John saying that was so upsetting? Well, he was just calling out the darkness. He was naming it, and he was saying, this is the thing that is keeping you from leveling up in your relationship with God. And people who went out in the wilderness to hear him preach, it was a hellfire and brimstone message. And as people were absorbing it, he was instructing them 
to a person to do things that would undo the things that they were attached to in this life that were keeping them from God. And that's how God prepared the way. Because people were putting aside stuff and they were saying, there's a space here that needs to be filled with something or someone and we're waiting for that someone to show up. And John said, that is exactly the position that God wants you to be in. And God shows up shortly after he does his priming work with all of us. He does something in our lives leading up to the moment where we say, yes. And for my life, it, I know it had been going on for four years. And for other people, it's longer. And for other people, it's been shorter. But it's always that thing that God says, I know there's some darkness here. And I know it's creating some frustration. And I know it's giving you some confusion and you don't have peace and you have anxiety and you have all of those things. I know that and I'm with you in it, but I want to use that as an opportunity to show my wonderful light. And I would say to a person, the people that I have talked to who have come to Christ in faith, in their backstory, there generally is something that said, I need something more than I can find in this world. And at wit's end, they recognize that the only thing that will fill that space of need in their lives is the person of Jesus. Now, there's something else that's happened in my lifetime because we grew up not talking about God because we were basically told that science is going to solve all of our technological problems. We were told that if you had an issue, government was going to protect you and provide the infrastructure and everything that you need. We were told that education would be the thing that would make your world even better. Every day in every way, the world is getting better and better. Anybody ever hear that when you're growing up? It's because all of these institutions were showing so much promise and people were saying, well, if science and technology and education and um, government and law enforcement and as, as it began to unfold in its capacity, healthcare, all of those things were starting to show so much promise to save us on different levels of our existence that we were basically saying, we've kind of outgrown God. We don't need him anymore. And it was interesting leaving the hospital the other day. Um, and just, I'll, just, I'll try not to be too graphic, but I'll, I'm just going to say that I was on the sixth floor. And when I got in the elevator, I saw some blood on the floor, just a little bit. And I saw some going up to the elevator, and I'm like, I'm getting nauseous because I'm, I'm not that kind of a person. I don't, sorry, all you healthcare people, God bless you. Thank you for what you do. But that's not me. So I get in the elevator. I see some blood on the floor, and I'm starting to kind of get white. And I'm like, just hold on. You only got six floors, and hopefully it'll go fast. I open the door, and I get out, and I see more on the floor. And it's going around the corner, and then it actually is going out the door. And I'm like, why is there blood going out the door? Um, because I just saw them 
carting somebody out the door, and it turned out that person had was, was leaking blood. And I'm like, that is the strangest thing because I always thought that if you had an issue with bleeding, you came in, but they're sending somebody out bleeding. And I was disturbed because I'm like, it's a weird day when the hospitals are sending people out that are bleeding. And I drove all the way home thinking, I'm really bothered by what I just saw. And I couldn't really make sense of it as, until I was reflecting on this message and I thought, that is just one more institution that I've grown up saying that will always be getting better and better every day in every way. But I also know that I, I work I, in my job, I work with people who are in that industry and I know their morale. I know how everything is accountant-driven now. And I know that it is not, if it says Mercy Hospital, Catholic Hospital, it is not a Catholic hospital with nuns treating you. It is a for-profit, not-for-profit entity. And I'm like, it's not getting better. But in all of these places, darkness is reclaiming what for a minute we thought was pathway to salvation and it's sort of receding now and we're in that moment where I'm asking the question again is the world in every way getting better and better every day and I think all of us know the answer to that question but there's another question if they're not the savior then who is who is? Who can save us? And John says, well, the true light. The true light will come. He gives light to everyone. He came into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. He, he, he's designed for this space. Yet the world says, who are you? You're, you're an alien, you're a stranger. Who are you, Jesus? You don't believe in me. You're old and ancient and irrelevant. He came to his own and his own people. They just didn't have the filter to see him. As John continues to describe the state of affairs and the, and the welcoming and the hostility, hostil, hosp, hospitality, which turns to hostility, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the right to become the children of God. And it's only by consent, through belief, that you have that right to put on any document that truly matters. I'm a part of God's family. I have the right and the privilege of laying claim to that identity. But the Bible isn't a book about rights as much as it is about responsibilities. And that's why John's writing because he knows he has a responsibility to be the equivalent of the YouTube influencer 
He's going to create the content in such a way that when certain kinds of people hear it, they will say, yes, I'm all about that. Sign me up. Subscribe me to your, to your content because I, I, I want it to keep coming. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I think a lot of us know about grace. But grace without truth is, well, it's meaningless. Because the grace has to be nudging you somewhere into a way that puts you right. That's the whole goal. God gives us grace, not because he says, you screwed up, I'll give you another chance. No, he gives us grace because he says, you have a lot of forces working inside of you and outside of you, and the grace upon grace is piled upon you to, to, to at least get your attention enough to draw you in. Into what? Into that right and responsibility and role of being a part of his family. And that means we become like him. We reflect him. But then there's truth. Now, if you take truth and you subtract grace, then it's just, it's not meaningless. It's just mean. So you're naming something, but you're not interested in offering enough grace to pull the person in. You're just naming it so you can be judgy. And God judges, but he's not judgy. He judges for the purpose of reconciling us back to him. That's what grace and truth perfectly embodied is. It's not meaningless where I'm just, I'm just, I'm just enabling you. Hey, I'll forgive you, forgive you, enabling you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Oh, it's okay. At least you feel good. Or truth, like, I just put the microscope on your life, and I see one little partition of your being has something incongruent. You're rejected. And then there's Jesus who became one of us. And he says, I see you struggling. I do. I see the darkness you're caught up in more clearly than you know. I see your life, I see your fear, I see your uncertainty, I see your frustration. And I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I see your fear when you read the book of Deuteronomy and you're like, oh, that's me. And I see the time when you get so caught up in grace that you forget about me. I'm still here. My friends, as we go into 2023... We need to be filled with grace and truth. Not just grace that's meaningless, not just truth that's mean, but the appropriate combination of those things given to people in their state of darkness enough that they know that there is light that shines on their own darkness, but there is a love that follows them to draw them away from it. 
And if we can keep that in mind as a church, there'll be other people out there who are seeing the John 3.16s in the, in the goalposts. There'll be other people out there who's saying, God, I grew up trusting all these things and they're all falling apart. There'll be people out there saying, where is my hope? Where can I find it? And there'll be a Jesus who said, I didn't come here to offer you hope. I am your hope. I am that word. But I'm also your joy. I'm also your love. I'm also your peace. But without me, those are just words. But with me, those words come alive in your life. And my hope is they will come alive in each of your lives this year because you are keeping him close. We're going to be moving into communion in just a minute. And as we do, one of the things that God really wants us to consider is how this represents that. How when we take him in, we take him in so that we can become like him. Because last time I checked, there's a whole lot of hurting and lost and broken people out there. I had several conversations with a lot of people in the hospitals this week. I was refreshed to hear a nurse tell a patient, hey, I'm praying for you. And I was also disturbed by seeing another person who clearly had no faith and no hope, but their faith, their face was just the embodiment of fear. And I'm thankful for people who work in that profession who can pray for those people like the nuns did back in the day. Who can offer them healing both spiritually and physically. And who despite the way that the world has shut us down will say in defiance, you had your turn. Now it's our turn. Amen? Amen? All right. You guys are awake, aren't you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you are the source of everything, that the world has given a representation of your salvation in various forms, from psychology to healthcare to science to technology to government to everything, Lord. And in every case, all they do is provoke uncertainty. And yet you are the one that is certain. You are the one that is life and light. And you are the one that has no darkness. And if there was ever a source for love in the best and most profound and otherworldly way, we know it is you. Not because you love, but because you are love. And I pray that sinks into everyone here. 
who recognizes the deep love that you have for us, the deep love that came into our world, the deep love that embraced the pain, and the deep love that endured the cross. Lord, you came for us. Wherever darkness is overshadowing our ability to see that, may those scales fall away. May we see you. And in a minute, when we take the loaf and the cup, I pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself through your son to our church once again. come to the end of yourself do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling oh come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and train them to joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. When John said that we had the right to become the children of God in his prologue, he was saying essentially that the blood of Christ poured out for the sins of many that is, all that would receive his forgiveness through that blood would now be covered. And there is no darkness that can undo that. There is no spirit, there is no demon, there is no force, there is nothing that can disrupt that. 
It is a powerful, powerful reality that changes everything. When we pray for this church every morning, we just pray, Lord, may the blood of Christ cover every part of this, this gathering place and every person that comes in here. And may in that place of sanctification, you find yourself doing the good work that you're called to do. We make it a sacred space and we make our lives a sacred space. And so it may sound Pentecostal, but maybe that's something I learned from them. That when you pray the blood of Christ over yourself, over your home, over the people that you're in authority over, God recognizes that. And he goes into that space and evil flees. But more importantly, it is just a way of claiming you and I back from the clutches of darkness. And it is a way of refreshing ourselves. I mean, to a personal, uh, people will tell me the best part of our gathering is when we meet around the Lord's table because we meet him in that moment and we build. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that you bless this bread and this cup, that it would be not only a symbol of the reality of your presence in our lives as we take it in, but it will also be a reminder of the covenant that we have with you through that blood. You have purchased us with the price of this blood and you have made us and enabled us with the rights and the responsibilities of what it means to be called your people. You have reformed us into a new identity and you've transformed us, Father. If not now fully, soon to be, um, in, in glory. And we thank you, Father, for that good work that you're doing in our church, in each of our lives, because the blood of Christ disarms the powers and the principalities and even the forces from within that keep us from you. So may you bless the loaf and the cup and help us on this first day of this new year renew our covenant with you and walk boldly into the pathway that you've called us to. To, to follow. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, as we trust you in the unknowing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Christ is risen, bow down before him, for he is Lord of all, sing hallelujah, Christ is risen, oh what a sin. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen, bow down before him, for he is Lord of all, sing hallelujah, Christ is risen.